everybody welcome into another baseball america podcast i'm kyle glazer we're continuing our team top 10 prospect series today with the st louis cardinals we're going to talk about the rise of jordan walker and what made him so effective at double a last year what to make of mason Wynn and his breakthrough as a position player and what has made the cardinals so good at developing pitching prospects and with that some of the really promising arms they have in this system to do all that i'm joined by my friend and colleague jeff ponce jeff First year doing the Cardinals. I've done this chapter. J.J. Cooper's done this chapter. Chris Trankel has done this chapter. There's always a lot of talent here. Uh, just before we kind of dive into the individual prospects, how did you enjoy taking on this system, which just always has talent? Yeah, I think this is, pro- I, you know, I it's this or Toronto, you know, I think um, because of the history. And I think with Toronto, it's the fact that they represent an entire country. I said that on that podcast. But this is the most plugged in fan base. I think feverish fan base, historical team um, that I have the opportunity to cover. Um, it's a team that was always sort of like my national league team kind of growing up a little bit. Um, so I had always followed them, um, you know, dating back to, you know, the, the speed centric teams. when I was a little kid and then, you know, Mark McGuire and then pool hosts and like all those guys since then. Um, it's a fun team to follow. Uh, they always, develop uh, a fair amount of major leaguers and i think that's the thing just even taking over the list like at the beginning of last season and like curating that during the year it's funny how many guys that were on that original 30 graduated and graduated with the team and it's not necessarily players that coming into any given off season that are top 10 guys they typically have players it seems like every year that break up, break out from a little bit further down this list and really prove themselves as, you know, potentially top prospects. Yeah. I've written about it. Cardinals devil magic. Tommy Edmond was one of those guys last year. Brendan Donovan was one of those guys. Again, those college infielders, they keep getting those guys to the majors and, and they're better than everyone expects them to be. And it's a good point you make about the Cardinals always having guys and, and depth in the system because Really, there's no organization that's been perfect. You look at the Mariners. They had a lot of success, but hey, Jared Kalanick, Taylor Trammell, Justice Sheffield haven't worked out. The Dodgers, for all their excellence, they still traded Jordan Alvarez for Josh Fields. Every team has their misfires or something doesn't work out, and that includes the Cardinals. Again, the Randy Rosarena trade still does not look great right now. We'll hit on Matthew Libertor a little bit later. And look, the trade of Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallon for Marcelo Zuna certainly did not work out in the sense they would love to have Sandy Alcantara and Zach Gallen. But because this is such a good organization that has so much talent within and they do such a good job developing, you can overcome any misses, whether it's in the draft, whether it's a trade that doesn't work out. And of course, they also are able to use a lot of their depth to go trade for impact big leaguers, namely Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado. Most recently, Goldschmidt won the MVP award last year. Arenado finished third. So again, this is an organization that there's always depth. They do a great job in scouting, a great job in player development, and it allows them to overcome any misfires that are inevitable. It's baseball. It happens. No one bats a thousand in any aspect of the game. So with that, Jeff, how do you assess the state of the farm system right now? Because you talked about they had a lot of guys come up last year and contribute. We wrote about it extensively at BA. I had a midsummer feature about it. They graduated a bunch of guys. They have a bunch of really talented young big leaguers, and they also still have a pretty good farm system. Yeah, I think, you know, um, 
that's the thing that's sort of remarkable. And it's not necessarily players that you anticipated, you know, 13 months ago being the breakout guy. I think we knew Jordan Walker was pretty darn good. That, that wasn't going to be, you know, a question here. Um, I do think when we look at this top 10, somebody like Mason Wynn has really established himself um, as a, a legitimate top 100 prospect. Tink Hentz is a guy that we had barely even seen in two years, gets a late start to the season, comes out, you know, immediately dominates, um, you know, uh, in low A. And we end up seeing him in the AFL. He pitched pretty well. Um, he establishes himself as one of the top pitching prospects in the game. And then you even have a guy like Gordon Graceffo, who was, you know, fifth rounder last year out of Villanova. And he started making waves when I was down in spring training, when he hit hundred miles per hour on the backfields and the trackman did it in season that, those velocity gains did, um, carry over into the year. And that's something that's sort of, if you followed his story progressively happened since the beginning of his final, his draft year at Villanova. Um, and now he's established himself as a guy that when we got feedback from front offices, there were multiple front office folks that mentioned Gordon Graceffo as somebody that they would have on their top 100 list. And I think the fact that he's added the power, but also been able to have something that's really seemed to be one of the pillars of the Cardinals identification process in the draft, but also development. And that is a guy who throws a lot of strikes. Um, they've been able to improve guys stuff, um, get guys, you know, uh, uh, to take a step forward, but it all seems to kind of revolve around that ability to, to, to land, you know, land the, the ball in the zone um, with a bunch of different shapes. And they have quite a few guys in this list, even outside the top 10 that do that pretty well. Yeah. And they've done that well for a long time. Again, when it comes to player development outcomes, you look at it from a long view, the last 10, 15, 20 years, you kind of put it all together. I mean, the Cardinals are probably second only to the Dodgers in terms of success and player development, and that's position players and pitchers. So th there's a lot to feel good about with the Cardinals and their player development system and their ability to get the most from guys. And again, this is a team that's made the playoffs four straight years. They returned to the top of the division last year, won their first NL Central title since 2019. I wrote at the end of the year how it was mostly the old guys fueling it, but again, there is young talent on this roster. Um, Yadier Molina retired. They went out and signed Wilson Contreras. So, again, they brought in another all-star catcher. And, and Albert Pujols obviously retired after his uh, big surge last year. But this is a team that's not short on guys who can potentially make an impact in the lineup. So with that, Jeff, I want to start with the top prospect in the system, Jordan Walker. Uh, safe to say a, a clear-cut number one in the system, one of the top ten prospects in all of baseball. Really, from the moment he was drafted, showed some really, really impressive abilities at the plate. Look, he's a big guy. The fact he has big power was never in question. Um, but he's really shown himself to be an advanced hitter in a lot of ways as well. And as a result, you're seeing a guy who's hitting for average, getting on base, hitting for power. And he did so as a 20-year-old at double-A last year. What do the Cardinals have here? And, I mean, how good can Jordan Walker be? Yeah, um, I, I think it's sort of remarkable when you think about there are areas of his game that he still really needs to improve. Um you know, we talk about contact. We talk about his approach, some of his swing decisions. He is a bigger guy, um, longer levers, of course. He has the ability to hit balls that are off the plate, stuff on the outer half of the plate, which, you know, I think is a valuable skill. We've seen guys that come up that are, you know, middle end type of guys, and it's really an area that can be exploited. That's not to say there aren't holes in his swing, 
stuff, you know, low and inside, um, sort of up and away at times because he does have, you know, a sort of a steeper bat path. Um, one of the reasons that he hits for as much power as he does. When you look at his production over the course of the year, he hit 300 this year in double A, you know, as a 20 year old. Um, and that's not easy to do. It was, you know, it's an offensive heavy league, but the numbers were still good. And he's really, in terms of the, the, the stat line, been more of a sort of hit over power guy almost. You know, it's not like he has these crazy home run totals. He consistently hits the ball hard. I think his approach will improve. I think the contact numbers will get better, especially when you put things in the context of his age and level and league. Um, you know, I think these guys that are in double A are probably seeing the most talented pitching staffs probably in the minor leagues. Um, just the nature of AAA, especially the nature of anybody that plays in the PCL. <laughs> Do you necessarily want to send your guys up there? So I think there's some things here that he can still work on and improve on. When you think about that, it, it, this is a guy that I tr I truly believe, and we've gotten feedback like this too, that he could be a superstar face of the franchise kind of player. The off the field stuff, the makeup stuff, you know, if you've been around Jordan at all, I've had the opportunity to speak with him a few times. Um, you know, at the prospect pad, but also around the cage at the AFL. He knows who you are, you know, shakes hands, looks you in the eye, has a good conversation with you. Teammates respond to him. They sort of rally around him. Um, so I think when you think about all that other stuff, because when you think about what limits upside, it's often player makeup. It's often athleticism. He's an athletic guy that can do a lot of things in the baseball field. He's not going to be limited physically. And then you look at the makeup and all the other stuff. That's one of the reasons he was able to go to double A as a 20 year old, play the, the, the whole season there, have a successful year, and then go to the AFL afterward and play a full year there as well. It's a baseball rat. He's a, you know, comes from a, a really good family. And I think just, you know, somebody that he's sure of himself and it, there's no arrogance or any of that stuff, none of that stuff sort of comes off with Jordan. And, you know, I think the big question for him now is where does he end up defensively? Um, I can tell you he was putting in work consistently in the outfield. That's really where they plan on playing him. I don't view him as a third baseman any longer. I view him as a corner outfielder. And as he gets hopefully a little bit more comfortable with some of those routes and just, you know, tracking the ball off the bat, things like that, you just you don't really get unless you have a lot of reps. I think he could potentially be pretty good. He's got a big arm out there. We already saw some of the throws that he was making at the end of the season with very little outfield experience. Um, and I think if you're a Cardinals fan, you got to be pretty excited about this guy. Um, I would, I would, I would caution though. I don't think Jordan Walker should probably be up this year. I do think he needs a little bit more seasoning. He, we hear this excuse a lot. We heard it with Chris Bryant and other guys. He legitimately does need to improve defensively. He needs to get reps in an environment where it's not the major leagues and those bright lights. And I think there's some things in terms of his, you know, his bat to ball skills, his approach that could improve. And that's only going to improve by seeing higher level pitching, um, you know, in a greater volume. So to the, to me, this year doesn't have to be forced into the 40 man roster for a few years. Maybe he plays his way up to St. Louis by the end of the year, but you really should be expecting him to have another full year in the minors when you consider how young he is and some of the areas of his game that he just needs to tighten up. Yeah, it's interesting. There definitely seems to be this uh, swell of fan support. Oh, can he make the opening day roster? And I was on a, a radio show in St. Louis yesterday saying a lot of the same things of, look, he's really, really, really talented. And you're right, the makeup is great. This guy was committed to Duke before signing with the Cardinals. He's very smart. He understands the mental side of the game and as well as having all the physical gifts. But he's still a very young player. 
with things to continue working on and doing so in AAA, you know, giving him a half season, even in Memphis will only help both him and the Cardinals um, long-term and really present and long-term. So I think, look, could he go out and go gangbusters and, and get up early? Certainly I'm not going to say it can't happen, but there's no question that when you look at what's best for both him and the Cardinals long-term, again, just getting some more reps in the, in the upper minors, AAA, seeing guys who have had big league experience, it's only going to help him and make him the best player he can be. In terms of his defensive position, you mentioned, you know, he's drafted as a third baseman and there was a, a healthy amount of skepticism from folks who saw him in his first full season last year that he was going to stay there. He's just, he's just a bigger guy. Um, they, there was a thought he was going to move to first again, just by sheer virtue of his size. But one of the interesting developments I thought happened this year, you mentioned his move to the outfield and right field. A lot of those same evaluators who said, yeah, just put, you know, he's going to go to first base. That's just where I see him. After watching him play the outfield this year and get some reps in right field, there was a sense of, you know, he can do it. He is athletic enough for especially how big he is that he can stick and right. Again, he's not ready to be a major league right fielder right now. There's more experience and reps that need to come. But I do think that was an encouraging sign that, yes, this is someone who can play right. When you look at Paul Goldschmidt still locked up, obviously Nolan Arenado's locked up at third. Um, you know, if he can slot in right field and by all expectations, he will be able to, that's going to help him get to the majors potentially sooner. Yeah, absolutely agree. All right, Jeff, we talked about Jordan Walker's being kind of the clear-cut number one in this system. Number two, three was an interesting debate. You have Tank Hens, who you mentioned, uh, came out this year in low A and showed some really exciting stuff. You also have Mason Wynn, who at this time last year, a lot of evaluators thought was a guy who was doing the two-way thing, was really only playing a position, but the expectation was he was going to go the route of a Casey Kelly or a Matt Bush, where... He tries to be a shortstop in the low minors and ends up getting put on the mound. And Mason mm-hmm. Wynn came out this year and showed himself to be actually a really, really good hitter, uh, solidified his status as a potential shortstop moving forward. Two talented guys, uh, not super far apart in the top 100 prospects. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, what put Hence ahead, just given A, pitcher risk, B, he's also doing it low A where, where wins in double A. I think that was sort of an interesting, uh, an interesting ranking. Can you take us through that? Sure. I think a lot of it just came down to, you know, talking to sources, what people looked at in terms of the ceiling. Um, And people really view Hence as a guy that, you know, does he, if he stretches out over the next year, could really take off and be one of the top pitching prospects in the game. So I think it's just the ceiling, the upside is a little bit higher with Hence with really good performance, um, you know, so sort of for his debut, um, and his first time pitching in full season ball. Um, you know, Mason Wynn, I think it was a, re- I mean, I had it back and forth. Um, and, you know, the, the case for him is uh, he's a, you know, he's got the all world arm, one of the best arms in the minor leagues. Um, he's a pretty good defender. I think that, and he'd probably tell you this. And if you've watched Tink Hens enough, you know, this, um, he lets his arm do the talking a lot where, uh, you know, his hands and actions aren't, um, you mean Mason Wynn, right? You said Tink Hens. You meant Mason Wynn, right? But to me, Mason Wynn, yes. Mason Wynn. The, okay. the, the hands and actions at times, um, you know, aren't perfect. He'll, I think his approach sometimes is just knock the ball down and I can make the throw. You, you, <laughs> you would see that in AFL. And he makes the throw. I mean, that's the thing is it affords him a lot of opportunities. Um, I like the swing. He remade his swing this year. You know, we were on it really early. It was something that I reported in spring training in some of my notes. 
um, that he would, had a much more sequenced swing. I think that was kind of what I had gotten from evaluators at the end of last year was, hey, you know, there's bat speed here. We saw some power flashed at times on the showcase circuit when he was a shortstop, but the lower half is bad. It's not necessarily always synced up with the, with the, with the top half. I remember getting some video and like immediately sending to people who had worked with him on the, you know, on the prospects, I mean, the, 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 the draft side of things and was like, there's a new swing here, dude. And it was like, Whoa, that's much cleaner. And the results followed. I mean, he started off the, the year in high a, um, you know, dealt with the, with the Midwest league really well, which isn't an easy place to always hit, especially in the early months of the Midwest league. Um, showed a little bit more power there. That kind of ticked down a little bit as he got to double a, I think there was some times that someone was exposed. You do want to see Mason, I think, add a little bit more impact um, for him to really take that sort of next step in terms of like an everyday potential star sort of, of, of shortstop. I think the upside is there. People do think the upside is there. He's a stronger, physical, more physical guy than I think people even realize. Um, so I think, you know, when you look at the, the progression and all these sort of things, Mason, as funny as it sounds, looking back a year later is actually like a safer prospect than tink but i do think that when you look at hence and potentially what the upside is here where there is potential for you know three plus pitches some command you know uniqueness and it's the questions are just the size and you know can he handle 130 you know 140 innings and we've seen in recent years that some of the height stuff with pitchers has become less of a question mark than it had been previously yeah, that is the main question I wanted to dive in with you on with Hence. Again, really talented. You see the stuff. You see the athleticism. Um, but it was only 52 and a third innings last year. He never pitched more than four innings in any start. And most of his starts were in that two and two thirds, three inning range. He also never threw more than 60 pitches in any start. So, you know, it's one thing to flash really, really, really good stuff over three inning stints. It's another to do it and hold it as well as your command over six, seven, eight innings what confidence level is there that he can grow into that and, and still maintain his stuff and command over those longer stints? You know, the feedback I got was that, you know, this guy's a starter. We're not concerned with, you know, especially internally, we're not really concerned with the relief risk here. This was, um, you know, deliberate. Uh, we wanted to slow roll him. We didn't want to throw a ton of innings on this guy. He still has to add more physicality and mature a little bit. And I think when you see him, he's a great athlete. Um, and at the end of the day, repeatability, being able to move well on the mounds, I think that typically portends to better health. We'll see. Um, he hasn't had any significant injuries as a professional at this point. Um, the best you know, a predictor of future injuries is past injuries. So he has that going for him. And, and you know, I think the fact that he's got this athleticism – He's been pretty good physically and that they do seem to have a plan in place in terms of building him up to more innings. Um, I have confidence that the organization will do that. And they, they've had a pretty good track record with the guys that they feel are starters developing those guys into starting pitchers. Yeah, no doubt. And again, like you mentioned, it's very easy to see the stuff. It's very easy to see the athleticism and uh, it'll be interesting to see just how many more innings he's able to tack on here in 2023 Jeff, we mentioned this earlier, the Randy Rosarena, Matthew Libertor trade is, is one that Cardinals fans are, are still wincing at. Um, obviously, Rosarena became a postseason hero, but since then, he's posted back-to-back 20 home run seasons. Um, he's been a, a good major leaguer over the course of a 162-game season. It wasn't like a flash-in-the-pan postseason. Last year, 20 homers, 32 stolen bases, 
um, average on base slug were all good. Uh, drove in 89. And so, I mean, you know, also had 41 doubles. It was really his best season. He keeps getting better. Um, and with that, a lot of Cardinals fans are watching Matthew Libertor and his development to kind of see if he's able to even the scales a little bit. Libertor made his major league debut last year. He did struggle, uh, got hit around a lot, um, didn't miss that many bats. The walks were high, but there's a lot of 22-year-old pitchers who come up and struggle. And sometimes it takes them a few years. Pitchers tend to take longer than position players to figure it out. So um, the initial debut in and of itself is not a, a huge red flag. You still have him ranked fourth in this system. What are some of the things you're seeing? And, and realistically, what does he project to be moving forward? Yeah, and this was something that was, you know, highly contested with scouts um, as well as internally with different sources. And, you know, naturally, I had Recepho in this spot myself. And, you know, you send out the list and you start to get feedback. And um, I got a lot of feedback that sort of like compared Libertor with Recepho. And it was, okay, let's take a step back. They're virtually the same age. If Matthew Libertor had a full season, we'll say coming out of 2021. I think we really have to look at that moment because publicly our reaction even was, wow, they assigned Matthew Libertor to AAA. I don't think any of us expected that. He had never pitched above high A at that point. I uh, had a full season off. You understand he's at the ultimate site, but it's still like, it was a little jarring. I, I don't think we necessarily were like, oh yeah, of course, you know, Matthew Libertor is going to go to AAA. So he had never pitched up low A. He didn't even get to high. He went oh, you're right, yeah. to AAA. It was stunning. Yes. And, exactly. yes. <laughs> and I think that if he had pitched at lower levels where his stuff and his ability to shape a variety of pitches likely would have driven much better results um, on the stat line, I think he might have been viewed differently. If a guy has a good year, people will continually buy into the rebound year after year, even if the guy proves that he doesn't do that. We can think of other pitching prospects over the last five to six years where this has happened. And Libertur really never had that sort of breakout season, but he's never really been bad when you put into context how few pitchers his age were even in AAA this season, let alone last. I think it was maybe 15 or 16 guys. Um you know, he turned 23 in the offseason. And, um, you know, this is a guy who's going to be 23 for all next year. He's got major league experience. He's got five different pitch shapes. He's got two fastball shapes and a, a sinker that he started to introduce more, a four-seam fastball that he's worked on a little bit. Um, he's got a slider that was sort of the thing that he had worked on, um, you know, a few years ago that, that you had sort of heard when he first joined on with the Cardinals. Hey, he's throwing the slider now. It's not just the big curveball. He's still got that big curveball and he'll flash a changeup. Um, I think as he tightens up his pitch mix and starts to really define like the right pitches for him, I think we'll see a different Matthew Libertor. Um, I've had a lot of analysts and folks on the pitching development side that I talked to about Libertor. Um, I don't think it's a direct comp. We got some comps to the way Max Fried was. People viewed Ian Anderson, Kyle Mute Muller, some of these other guys that were pitching prospects in that Braves organization being better than Max Freed and then Freed comes up. He's kind of, you know, people don't, aren't that excited. And then the guy knows how to pitch. He, you know, he had been through these battles in the upper levels. You know, he had gone through a, a, an alteration in, in his pitch mix and just finding what the right pitches were, the right sequencing. I think a lot of the elements are still there for this guy to be a really good starter. And then when you start to compare him with someone like Gordon Graceffo, for example, 
I think there's equal questions about the fastball shape. Graceffo throws really hard. He doesn't have a great fastball shape, and it does not miss a lot of bats. Um, his numbers are pretty equal in the four-seamer, actually, in terms of uh, success and production um, to Libertor. Libertor has the two-seam fastball, so there might be something there where it's like, hey, this guy could turn into more of a heavy ground ball type of guy. You look at the slider, um, okay, well, you know, it's kind of a wash. Graceffo has, uh, has the better changeup. Libertor has the better curveball. Libertor has – so you start to look at all this. You start to look at age. You start to look at success. Libertor had a higher strikeout rate in AAA than Graceffo had in AA, you know. Um, so you start to look at some of these things, and it's like I start to see a place where Libertor is that sort of mid-rotation lefty who can get ground balls. You know, the strikeout numbers aren't eye-popping, but they're good enough. He throws enough strikes. He competes. He goes deep into games. And those are valuable starters that are often underrated in the minors. And I feel like the point where we underrate these guys is often when the prospect shine is off. They don't have the crazy strikeout rate they had in A ball. Um, they get up to double A AA and triple A and have to face some of that adversity, which is really learning on the job. Um, I think this is a guy that we could look back in two or three years and say, wow, he was, he was better than we thought he was, or he was that guy we thought he was at, at draft time. That's not to say it's perfect. Like I said, there's some things that you can pick apart, the fastball, some of the secondaries, but nothing he really does at this point is is bad. Um, I just feel like he's never really had that opportunity to like just dominate double A guys or whatever when he should have been in double A or high A for that matter. You know, um, a lot of that can can change the perception of a particular player. And, you, you mentioned the two-seamer, and that's an interesting development to me because my concern about Matthew Liebertor, and I've seen a lot of him uh, both in person and just you know doing the work on video, but, but in person especially, it's noticeable. His fastball does not play well. His fastball is very, very, very hittable. Um, that was true even against lower caliber competition. Uh, I remember specifically in the Olympic qualifier, he's facing Nicaragua, and Nicaragua is squaring up his fastball and driving it consistently. And... My concern has always been, you know, this is a guy who can really pitch, but he's really going to have to pitch off his secondaries. It's going to have to be curveball slider change up. The fastball is just not very effective. And you make the Max Fried comparison. And just, again, going back to, I remember seeing Max Fried with Gwinnett and AAA when his ERA wasn't great, but you saw him. It was explosive stuff still. The fastball did play. The curveball had that power and snap. And I came out of that thinking, this guy is really good. He's just, again, a guy whose prospect shine is off. I haven't gotten that feeling with Libertor. It has been a lot of this guy's going to pitch off the secondaries and be an effective back-end starter. Um, the four-seam fastball has just continually never played for me. But this development, this two-seamer is interesting because then you start talking about maybe he does become that ground ball guy. And then maybe he is able to, to again, maybe he sneaks into that number three starter role. But I do think for me, I've always seen him in that number four, five pitch off his secondaries type. Whereas when I saw Fried, I did say, there's real stuff here for him to climb into potentially number two. And, and you can argue he's become a number one. So I will say that there was a noticeable difference for me between those two, but I get what you're saying in the sense that yes, he was, he was jumped very aggressively. There are some misdevelopmental steps in there and all things considered, you still say it's a 22 year old who handled himself pretty well in AAA, who shows you four pitches, a good feel for pitching and can throw strikes. Those are all good ingredients. I just, I do think it probably is more of a number four or five in the end than a true number three mid rotation type. Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome. Um, you know, I think I, I was just saying, you know, 
the high end, the ceiling potentially is this could be a mid rotation guy. I don't think anyone thinks it's going to ever going to be a front rotation guy unless something significant happens. But so much of pitching development happens at the major league level versus hitting. You know, um, everybody gets their teeth kicked in the first time it seems. But I do think the fact that he could be going more toward a two seam fastball really plays better with his entire arsenal as well. The way that the slider moves. Um, you know, the changeup will probably be more effective and sinkers and curveballs, you know, go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jeff, uh, we got to dive deeper into the system. We have to find the next uh, Cardinals devil magic infielder that's laying around somewhere. Uh, first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. What I love about using Indeed is how it does a lot of that organizational work for me. I can sort through candidates. I can respond to them. I can schedule interviews all through Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses, including Baseball America, that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to another Baseball America Team Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We're here breaking down the St. Louis Cardinals system with Jeff Ponce. Jeff, before the break, we talked about the top four guys in this system, all of whom are top 100 prospects. But a very, very, very standard occurrence for the Cardinals is they have guys in the back half of their top 10 or outside their top 10 who, when you look up in a few years, are really, really good big leaguers who you say, you know what, in terms of their major league performance and production, Probably should have been top 100 prospects. Um, who are some of the guys that you see in the back of this top 10 and even outside of it that you wouldn't be shocked if we look up in three years and and they're having not just, you know, regular big league careers, but above average big league careers even? Sure. Um, I You know, Graceffo is certainly one that I had already mentioned. Um, you know, McGreevy still has sort of his fans. Um, I think that as, as he jumped levels, there was more and more questions around, you know, the fastball, but another guy that has know a lot of feel for a lot of pitches um if we're looking the back end of the top 10 and i had to place a bet on it i think it's probably you know it's probably going to be um you know graceffo uh if i had to bet on one guy in particular um you know if we start to go a little bit deeper down on the list i do think they have some guys that are just outside of the top 10 like leo bernal who's a really exciting player um that they had signed out of Panama, but I believe he's one of, I think he had the highest bonus of any player out of Panama ever at like just a touch under $700,000. Um, really talented catcher. If you got to watch any of Tink Hence's starts last year um, down in Palm Beach, he was primarily Hence's catcher, moves really well. 
he's stuck. He's one of those guys that he moves so well behind the plate on the backfields that he stuck out to me immediately. And I remember like taking video of him, like catching <laughs> for that reason. And then he hit a bomb, he hit a home run. Um, so he was somebody that immediately sort of caught my attention when I saw the 2004 birth date, started to ask around a little bit. It was like, yeah, this is a, a potential guy. And it's one of the reasons that he's as high as he is. Um, couple other guys that are a little bit further down the list that I think are, are sort of interesting. Are there uh, a couple of draft picks from this year, which is uh, Bryson Motts and Pete Hansen. Um, two guys that kind of had some questions about power, particularly with Hansen, fastball shape a little bit more um, with Motts. Uh, I think strike throwing is actually kind of an issue with him too, which is kind of funny for the Cardinals. But the way that they've been able to get some of these um, – you know, uh, we'll say pitchers outside of the first or second round to turn into something, uh, particularly on the college side. I find them to be my most interested watches this year, particularly when I'm I'm out there in the backfields uh, later on in March. You know, obviously I love Cooper Jerpy. I want to see Cooper Jerpy. He's one of my favorite college pitchers of the last few drafts. But I want to see what maybe over the offseason has happened with a Mots or has happened with a Hanson. Um, because I do think that they are really interesting players, especially when you consider a couple of lefties here. Um, in you know, if they can add a few ticks of mile per hour onto Hansen's fastball and he's sitting more like even 91 to 93 on a regular basis, I think with that shape, those secondaries, the advanced pitchability that he showed at Texas during his collegiate career, he could be a guy that breaks out. If you want some more off-the-radar guys, I have a couple of those guys, too. <laughs> well, no, it's funny you mentioned Mott's. I'm obviously very familiar with him, uh, him being right. at University of San Diego. And, yeah, I actually think he's one of those guys just, again, the low-slot fastball slider. I mean, he's going to be death on lefties. Obviously, the, the loogie is no more at the three-batter minimum, but you, know, you can see him. And, and his stuff plays against righties, too, that fastball slider combination. Um, we have seen the Cardinals take some of these college arms, and – Again, because in part they're so good at developing pitching prospects, they you know end up putting a lot of them in the bullpen. Um, it does seem like Mots is a guy whose who's likely future is more in the bullpen. I, I look even at like a guy like Zach Thompson, you know, first rounder a few years ago, who there was some health questions. He he struggled at AAA last year, really bounced back this year. I wrote about that after watching one of his starts at Memphis. Um, got to the big league, settled into a relief role. I mean, A, I guess the two questions here are one, is Thompson a reliever moving forward? And also, you know, how likely is that going to be, you know, Motz's track as well as some of these other, you know, depth pitchers we're talking about? Yeah, and, and I don't think we necessarily had anticipated. When I saw Zach Thompson on the Cape, he's a pretty good mover on the mound. I remember I was always sort of struck by his balance because he got really deep sort of into his back leg where he explodes toward the plate. But this guy repeats well. You know, the stuff was pretty good. He dealt with some elbow injuries following that in his draft year. Um, actually he had prior to, he actually had dealt with some injuries, actually, uh, that was his first time, I think back on a mound in a competitive game, if I remember correctly, uh, after his sophomore year, it had some injuries and he's sort of always been up and down in terms of fastball velocity. It seemed to really be back last year. The, sh the snap on the curveball, though it's a slower curveball, it has so much depth and plays off of his fastball well enough that it's a good, a good two pitch mix. I think he is a reliever now going forward. That's how he's been discussed. I think that's one of the funny things about this Cardinals top 30 is that you could, there's enough guys with good stuff here that are close to the majors even 
that you could kind of see a, a major league bullpen here with inside the the top 30. You know, if you get your, your pr premier close or whatever, and then the guys that fill those slots down below, they have a lot of guys that, that can ride it um, with a good breaking ball and can get outs. Um, you know, we've seen some of those guys come up in the major leagues. Another one that comes to mind is Freddie Pacheco, who sort of broke out last year in the minors and is, you know, um, now on sort of the radar and could potentially be in that bullpen pretty early this year. Um, they do a good job with that. And I do think that Thompson sort of is the, the, the premier guy of those guys that are on this list in terms of the future relievers that, you know, could have really short, um, well, he's already been up in the majors, but, you know, short windows to, until they're graduating off this list, just like we had last year. I think we had six or seven guys graduate from our top 30 list. Yeah, and you mentioned all this upper-level talent, you know, whether it's those arms or a lot of position players. You look at the top 10, and the vast majority of these guys have significant time at double-A or above. But the guy at number 10 here is kind of one big exception to that, and that's Ian Mejia. He uh, was one of their top international signees. Very, very young kid. He's a 2005 birthday, if you ever want to feel super old. Um, <laughs> went out last year in the DSL and and – you know, showed some on base ability, showed some extra base, extra base hit ability. Um, overall, an interesting guy. Again, it's the DSL. You don't want to go too crazy. What ultimately elevated him onto this top 10, maybe over some other guys with longer track records or, or just a little more certainty? What what can Ian Mejia be? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing with, with Mejia is um, just the, the, the bat to ball potential plus the power. He's not much of a defender. Um, he's listed as a shortstop. He's probably not going to stick there. Um, there's some uncertainty around the position, but I think when you look at a guy um, like Zach Thompson, who's had his struggles, is a little bit older, sort of a ready-made reliever, but not somebody that's necessarily going to be like a closer or a dominant sort of bullpen guy. Um, Bernal, who um, you know is still a catcher, has the sort of catcher risk that's associated with a young catcher at this level can certainly hit he can defend but you know i didn't have people that were sort of there yet um and then josh Baez, just it was a it was a difficult year for josh Baez. he dealt with injury he wasn't in the greatest shape early on because of some injuries he had over the off season um he struggled with swing and miss when he was active um so i i think that when you started to look at the, and then we started getting to the draft guys that you know were sort of um not viewed as you know, huge upside sort of arms. I think there were sort of more Cardinals wait and see types that he sort of became the clear choice there at 10 as I started to, to speak with folks that it was like the upside's higher here. You know, this could be a potential star with the bat. There's some risk, there's some questions for sure. Um, but I think, you know, he sort of earned that that 10 spot by having a good pro debut, backing up the bonus that he signed with and some of the the familiarity and fame that he had, which it, which... You know, I think we sometimes overrate it, um, but that's a that's a big pressure on a 16, 17-year-old kid to have to come out, be one of the younger players in the DSL uh, with a big price tag on him and produce. People see the numbers. They don't see the play necessarily. So um, I think with those expectations on him, the feedback was pretty good. Really, the only knocks were around his defensive ability. And if he can hit and he ends up at third or second base or, you know, a corner outfield spot or whatever it might be, I think that, you know, the hitting ability is going to be enough to play. And the other thing, too, uh, I was going to mention was the, the skills are good. I think when we look at some of these guys, like an Adel Amador, for example, last year, he had a pretty good transition to full season ball because he had those sort of advanced skills. Uh, Junior Caminero was another one that came to the complex and then played you know pretty well toward the end of the season. 
It's guys that make good swing decisions that do have some bat speed, some power, and some contact ability. And Mejia, that's really what drives this game. All right, Jeff, I'm going to put you on the spot here. You ready? Let's do it. Who is the next Cardinals Devil Magic infielder? And I'm looking for, give me a mid to late round college infielder. Because look, it's it's Tommy Edmond, Paul DeYoung, Luke Voigt, Greg Garcia, Matt Carpenter, Matt Adams, Daniel Descalso, Alan Craig, Skip Schumacher, most recently Brendan Donovan. We're talking, you know, fourth round at the earliest. Give me that mid to late round college infielder who we're going to look up and is a pretty darn good big leaguer. Oh, man. Like... You're giving me this one, and the funniest thing is I think the guy that fits that like the most is probably <laughs> is probably an older college outfielder that we saw in AFL, and it's Mike Antico. I, I don't know if Mike Antico is ever going to be a full-time player. He's got speed defensive ability. Uh, he gets on base. He hits the ball pretty hard. The contact isn't great, um, but I think when you consider this is a guy that spent four years at St. John's, transfers to Texas – comes in initially sort of struggles out of the gate and then was um and then was was pretty good uh you know the rest of the year so he's the guy that I kind of I kind of point to the most as the Cardinals devil magic um I think when you look at at this year's draft you know Jimmy Crooks had a really good debut um Crooks was their fourth rounder out of Oklahoma he's a catcher left-handed hitting there's some hitting ability there um the other guy I'll mention too is like Victor Scott. I saw Victor Scott a ton on the Cape. Um, freaky athlete. Went to West Virginia. Really fast. The exit velocities are there. Um, you know, I think there's some more refinement that's needed in terms of the skills and things. But he's a guy that could potentially really bust out big last year. Um, I guess the other guy that I'll throw at you, even though he's not a smaller college guy, he did not make the top 30. You probably have more experience with him than I do, though I did see him on the Cape quite a bit, is Michael Curiel. Um, I think there were high expectations here. It never really clicked. If I remember correctly, he was a, yeah. a Jason teammate of Royce Lewis. And, you know, maybe the Cardinals can get him in, fix some things. He's a guy that, you know, potentially could be kind of an interesting, uh, you know, kind of could be an interesting player. I mean, he's had some good flashes, some good periods at, at UCLA, but it's never really come together. I mean, if we have to look at the last draft, they didn't take many, many, uh, many infielders. So he's the only guy after round 10 that I would probably throw it on unless you're a, a big Brody Moore fan from Auburn. You heard it here first, folks. Mike Antico will be a three-time all-star who's uh, starting on the next Cardinals World Series team because that's Cardinals double magic. No, um, yeah, you know, Michael Curiel is interesting. And I, you're right, I, I have a lot of history with him. Uh, he succeeded Royce Lewis as Jay Sarah's starting shortstop, uh, tied a lot of Lewis school records, and you watched him. He was one of the best uh, high school players in his class. There were teams who were offering him $2 million out of the draft to be a, a top 100 overall pick, and he said no. He was committed to UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, physically, just, you know, super strong, but also super fluid, moved well. Um, you saw big power. You saw a feel for the game. He was touching 94 off the mound. I mean, you know, everything was there. And he got to UCLA and just just struggled to make consistent contact, never quite found defensive home, moved around a lot. It's sort of a blessing and a curse. Because he's so big and athletic, you can play him in a lot of different places. But also, he never got a chance to get settled really at any one spot. So that kind of hampered him. And, and yeah, I actually thought he was a really nice kind of let's take a shot on this uh, type of pick because – the physical ability is there. The makeup is there. You know, maybe if he gets settled at one position, 
you work on some swing things with him, um, that's where you can maybe see a guy really, really break out. Because from a pure physical ability standpoint, mm-hmm. I mean, again, at, at 18, 19 years old, this guy was was as physically gifted as anyone in his draft class. The only thing that even knocked him out of the first round was the fact that there was a little too much swing and miss. But yeah, I, that's a guy that, you know, you put a guy like that in an organization like the Cardinals who have a really good track record of development mm-hmm. and helping guys get better. And, you know, one of the things I talk about with the Cardinals a lot is it's not even as much as necessarily to help guys exceed their ceilings as, as reach them. You know, we talk about at Baseball America, we put uh, a 50 high grade on a lot of players. That's sort of, you know, his ceiling, his potential is he can be an average big leaguer, but there's a high risk he gets there. 99% of those guys don't become average big leaguers, everyday regulars. You know, it's it's just it's hard. Those guys are, mm-hmm. you know, an average big leaguer is a really good player, and um, most guys fall short of that. The Cardinals do a really good job of their 50 highs. They get them to that 50. Most 50 highs end up being 40 grade players or org guys. The Cardinals get their 50 highs to actually be 50s. And, and it's really, really impressive. And I think, you know, that's something where you talk about a guy like Curiel who, who has the potential, you know, in a lot of other orgs, you might feel less good about him unlocking it. But the system like the Cardinals, again, you know, maybe the odds aren't, aren't overwhelming, but they're higher than they would otherwise be. So that, that's a good pick. And a guy, again, I, if you see him, it, it's very, very clear, very, very quickly how much physical ability he has. I think there were only like five outfield uh, infielders to choose from in the last three drafts, <laughs> too. Or like last three full drafts, because 2020, whatever. So like there weren't many choices here. You hit me with that one. And I was like, I was going to say Antico. And he said infielder. <laughs> Or his outfielder, but it's all right. We'll, we'll take it. Co- older college guy who uh, yeah. people didn't expect much out of, and then they end up being, you know, really good big leaguers who have nice careers. So we'll yeah. see what happens. Uh, Jeff, any final thoughts here as we wrap up uh, about the Cardinals as uh, their farm system and organization as a whole? Mm-hmm. And look, four straight postseason appearances, uh, you know, their, their future outlook. Yeah, I think you look at this team and, you know, they have a ton of depth not only on their 40 man roster, that's been homegrown, um, but sort of adjacent to the 40 man roster, meaning guys that could potentially contribute this year. If the Cardinals decided to add them to the 40, um, you know, the, uh, when you look at the success they've had, they've been able to move on, you know, obviously this year, they got a big hole to fill behind the plate. Uh, they went out and they get Wilson Contreras. Um, you know, they make these moves. I think they're always, underwhelming their fans that they never make, you know, they never make the huge move, right? Whatever that move is. And we've seen it for 10 to 15 years. They consistently have a, you know, competitive major league teams that can win divisions. They constantly have players within the organization that are reinforcements within the season. Part of that is being able to develop people throughout the minor league system and not just your top guys. And I think that to me is always a great reflection of how good of a job a PD system does, right? We can hear all the things they can have all the bells and whistles. You can have the fancy numbers. You can have the handful of superstars you drafted at the top of the draft that turned into, into superstars, but it's when you start to have these guys that can backfill that were taken in later rounds, you know, a guy like Brandon Donovan coming out, having a great year, winning a gold glove. I don't think anybody had anticipated that. Tommy Edmond turning into the player that he's turned into, still sort of underrated, underappreciated. Um, and then they can go into the draft every year and they can draft 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, and still get really good players. They rarely miss on those picks. 
know, you can debate the Nolan Gorman pick or whatever. Gorman got up to the big leagues last year and it had a pretty good minor league career prior to that. And those are still guys that are on, are sort of like active roster adjacent. We don't know if Nolan Gorman has a full-time job. And I think it's one of the things that we've seen as a theme year over year with the Cardinals is they always have a glut at a particular position or area, and then they can sort of make trades to reinforce uh, whatever their need is at a given time. Sometimes those trades certainly work out, but more often than not, they've helped the major league team. Yeah. And and that's, you know, you made that point earlier. So they don't always make the big move. They don't necessarily make the big move in free agency. They make the big move in trade to go back. Mark McGuire, Jim Edmonds, Scott Rowland, Matt Holliday. And of course, most recently, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, they are Mm -hmm. able to use that, that glut of talent, as you said, move it. And more often than not, win the trade. You look back at all those trades. There's very, very few guys where you look back and say, oh man, they really lost that deal because they gave up this guy. All those deals have worked out great for them. And um, again, Cardinals know what they're doing. That's not a secret. And we look forward to seeing what comes of this farm system. There's a lot of talent in it. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me. We appreciate your time and insight as always. All right. Yeah. It was great to join you. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Ponce, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody.